0: Films others tend to forget Come with us and nope, I'm not the movie who a-
1: Halloween special Hello and happy Halloween, you're listening to Movie Oubliette, the globe gallivanting podcast with me, Dan, still recording my album down here in Melbourne,
0: Australia. And me, Conrad, looking forward to a Halloween mystery horror double bill at my local cinema in Cambridge, UK.
1: In this podcast, we cover forgotten genre films, sci-fi, horror, and fantasy, because ectoplasm, ATM machine, ghost eradicators, and lead sheathed rooms are perfectly normal parts of daily life. Hello, Conrad. (laughs) How are you?
0: I'm very well. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Happy Halloween.
0: Yeah, happy Halloween. Spooky season again. I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. as, As usual, uh... Not a lot of celebration down here in Australia, but uh, I'm sure America's having a good time.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they are. And I'm really pleased that it's being marked in our local cinema and they've got this double bill of classic horror movies, but it's a mystery. They won't tell what they are. You just have to show up, buy your popcorn, take your seats and see what they give you. It's going to be fun.
1: Do you have an idea?
0: What's your guess? Just looking at the sort of films that are scheduled for re-release, because it's their anniversary this year, I think we might see Hellraiser and I think we might have Christine, maybe? Ah, okay. yeah. Ah, oh, those yeah. are two
1: favourites of mine. Mm.
0: So, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but I'm up for anything. <laughs> yes, yes. And you're still recording your album.
1: Yeah, am still recording my album. I mean, I started this in 2020. I know I, I keep saying I'm recording, but I am recording. It seems, The ball seems to be rolling. At the moment So I, I'm on a big Sort of recording streak And actually getting some Making some progress For once Um So I, I mean Fingers crossed By the end of the year But who knows And maybe another Four years Who knows <laughs> <laughs> But you know It's a labour of love And it's, it's There's no deadline And it's not for anything I'm not I don't have any Lofty goals for it Or anything It's Funny. just an outlet really Just to put my music out yeah. there
0: Yeah Yeah it's fun that's the main thing just enjoy it
1: yes yes so conrad anything in the mailbag today
0: yes we heard from melinda on solomon kane hello melinda Hello. And she said about uh, Solomon Cain, Wow, very Aragorny. The other image I kept conjuring up while listening to the show was Holtz from Angel, the TV series, oh, for okay. some reason. Yeah, sure. I guess because he was an 18th century badass who rode horses and fought demons whilst wearing a noteworthy hat.
1: Ah, yes, of course, the hat. <laughs> Ticks all the boxes. Yes.
0: Uh, We also heard it from someone called Hannah. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, who said for the Exorcist prequels. There were redeeming qualities in both of them, although the director of the first one was supposedly accused of making a film that was too slow and goreless. I didn't mind the pace and calm. It was at the end when the gore finally did arrive that it went downhill. On the other hand, I'm guessing the second film tried to correct this slow pace but overcompensated and ended up as a choppy mess of random horror stuff happening. Throw them both back. And a re-film of a new prequel is required, but don't remove the cute, fluffy hyenas. Yeah
1: so cute and fluffy
0: they were they were adorable
1: hyenas yeah i wonder if they would revisit the prequel territory for the exorcist i
0: wouldn't put anything past the studios now they're so desperate to milk franchises ip for everything they're worth yeah yeah Mm, yeah maybe and speaking of that Jasmine said, Generally speaking, I absolutely hate prequels. Rarely do I see any point in watching a movie where I already know the outcome. I get angry when studios milk their cash cows by going backwards, and at best, a prequel can achieve a status no higher than decent. The Renny Harlan film is surprisingly decent. The sluggish Paul Schrader film has the word prequel in its subtitle, which I contest was done solely to make me angrier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: I would agree. I would agree. Uh, uh, yeah, prequels don't work for me either. Uh, the only mm. prequel, it's, it's a TV show, but uh, the Hannibal TV show works for me. I think it it, oh, it yeah. actually is a good prequel to the Silence mm. of the Lambs movie. Um, yeah, but apart from that, they don't work. No, they
0: don't. They. It just feels like a curious case of suspense-free fan service because you know the main character is going to survive, and then they just spend all this time sort of yeah making sure that you see them collect all the things and go to all the places and yeah find the bits of clothing and that you're going mm. to recognize for them. And I just say, I don't care. I really mm. don't. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you, you know what's gonna. You know the outcome. Mm.
0: I don't think that will stop them, Jasmine, but here's hoping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I guess we better figure out what we're going to be looking at this time, Dan.
1: Yeah, yeah. Go on over to the Oublient, Conrad. I will do. Here
0: we go.
2: Wow,
1: this is a
0: very... uh gothic, well-appointed dining room in here today. Mm, Yeah, yeah. It's opulent. It's lovely. Oh, some of the stuff's moving by itself. So many chandeliers. Oh, good grief. It's flying at me. Ow! (laughs) Not the carving tray. And now there's a bedspread. Oh!
1: (laughs) Okay, I've got the movie. I'm coming back. Oh my. All right, what are we going to be covering today,
0: Conrad? So we have The Legend of Hell House, a 1973 gothic supernatural horror film directed by British director John Hoff, starring Pamela Franklin, Roddy McDowell, Clive Reville and Gail Hunnicutt. And it's written by Richard Matheson and based on
1: his own novel, Hell House. Ah, so what happens in the Hell House?
0: Mm. Well, an eccentric British millionaire at death's door hires a sceptical physicist, Dr. Lionel Barrett, and two psychics, young Florence Tanner and haunted expert Ben Fisher, to spend Christmas at the abandoned former home of a (laughs) twisted, sadistic murderer, Emmerich Belasco, to determine once and for all if there's life after death. The Ah. previous expedition into the house ended with the deaths of all of the paranormal experts except Fisher, who grimly warns the others of the dangers they face. But Mm. Dr. Barrett is convinced he can cleanse the house with his psychic washing machine and he and his visiting (laughs) wife Anne will be home in time for mince pies. Uh. But as homicidal crockery begins to fly, invisible figures menace Tanner in her bed and black cats begin to pounce, the (laughs) Ghostbusters become increasingly scared
1: and horny. Uh. Will they survive the week? Find out after the break ah yes so we're combining christmas with halloween today yeah i didn't know that it's fun (laughs) and we'll be joined by a special guest as well
0: yes very special guest after the break yeah Our special guest today began his career as an editor, animator, director and producer on the seminal stop-motion sketch series Robot Chicken, before transitioning to animated features, working on the block-busting Lego movie and directing the Lego Batman movie, and now directing live-action features with The Tomorrow War and this year's spectacular horror comedy Renfield. It's Chris McKay. Hello, sir. Hey. Hello. Hey.
2: Hello. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice welcome. Thank you. That was really nice.
0: And happy Halloween. Are you happy a big Halloween. celebrator of Halloween in your house?
2: I, I, you know, yeah, I like Halloween. You know, I uh, I don't dress up uh, like I used to, but yeah, I love <laughs> Halloween, and I put some decorations out and things like that. I've got a, they make these really cool Halloween decorations that look like old school stuff I remember from a kid, but they're all based on you know American werewolf or Shaun of the dead or or Texas Chainsaw or whatever so i've got wow. these very old school looking decorations that are some of my favorite movies yeah so cool. cool
0: that sounds great i have an inkling what your favorite halloween movie or certainly favorite in the halloween franchise because mm. i heard you have a tattoo of it
2: yeah yeah halloween 3 halloween 3 i mean look there's no question that john carpenter's halloween is the best movie in the halloween series and i grew up watching john carpenter movies and falling in love with Obviously his cinematography and and he's just great with dialogue and you know his run of movies in the you know late 70s, early eighties is just you know unparalleled. But Halloween three was a movie that I saw projected in a movie theater. And I think it was the first time I kind of synthesized what a filmmaker does. Like I understood, oh, the camera is moving and they're purposely uh, you know excluding this thing and then revealing it and there's all this stuff so uh, it was a kind of a moment where um, instead of just enjoying a movie that i think i'd just been doing prior to that when i was a movie watcher i actually started to put the pieces together that these were choices that people made uh, along the way and so that's part of the reason for halloween 3 and i just you know mm. I, I do enjoy the movie i think it's a pretty charming fun addition <laughs> to the halloween franchise
0: yeah, it's got a really cool tone to it, and yeah. I love the soundtrack for that movie. Yeah.
2: The soundtrack's great, and it's got a great ending. It's got that turn it off, turn it off, turn it to scream, and then cuts <laughs> off to black. It's, mm, it's great. Yeah, Tom Atkins.
0: Uh, Yeah, you can't beat Tom (laughs) Adkins. It's a fabulous movie. And for a long time, it was the black sheep of the franchise. It's finally getting some recognition now. Not unlike the film that you've chosen for us to talk about today, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this year, but has been completely eclipsed by a certain other film that's hit the same milestone. Mm. And for me, it's always been a bit of a footnote or an also ran in its subgenre of haunted house movies mm. sort of mentioned in the background when people are listing things like The Haunting. Yes. It's The Legend of Hell House. I'd never seen it before. Dan, I don't think you had it
1: either. Yeah, no, I'd never seen it, no.
0: Yeah. I was wondering, Chris, if you could kick us off by telling us about your relationship with this movie and when you first saw it.
2: Yeah, um, when I first saw it, this is a great question. I must, I, I don't think i saw it until it was available on dvd or blu-ray like i don't think i ever saw like a retrospective of it or anything i had just read about it i think i was one of those people who maybe got it mixed up a little bit with the haunting hmm. even though they're 10 years apart and ones in black and white and ones in color and the ones robert wise and i didn't know much about the source material although i think i picked up the book at some point the richard matheson hell house book which i found out later was his response to Shirley Jackson's The Legend of Hill House, oh. you know, in the in the same way that they you know, like Sam Raimi's Darkman is a response to Tim Burton's Batman, I think that his book Hell House was a response to Shirley Jackson's The Legend of Hill House. And you can see that there's a lot of similarities, you know, as far as like the base story of psychics uh, going to a heavily haunted house to prove that there's the possibility of life after death, but they divert tonally, you know, almost immediately and one is very classy and refined, uh, Robert Wise, and one is uh, is a little more tawdry and a little more <laughs> uh, pulpy, uh, which is you know probably what I really love about it. And I, It's probably what I was looking for when I saw The Haunting. Like I wanted something that was, you know, th- it's funny because they sit on sort of the divide too between like old school studio filmmaking and a little more of that kind of reserved. You know, like The innocence and things like that kind of horror film, the Val and stuff or whatever. Mm. And then now on the other side of The Wild Bunch, we're on the side of Bonnie and Clyde. And, you know, it's got it's got, it's got 70s vibe. It's more modern in the ways that it uses shock stuff. I mean, it's some really great moments. I mean, there's a movement to some of the action in this movie that is not something you'd see in a movie that was three years prior or something like that um and it's, it just came out the same year as the exorcist and there's some similarities in how far it kind of goes mm. it doesn't go quite as far as the exorcist in some levels but it you know there's definitely you can read into this movie i mean there's obviously there's what happens to pamela franklin and things like that in the movie there's lots of stuff that uh, uh is, is very suggestive oh yeah but in a dirty sort of yeah Times Square kind of way
1: <laughs> mm. uh, yeah I, I mean I do agree with the whole sort of modernizing sort of the genre of the haunting movies it feels quite modern like it, in, in the fact that they're introducing the the scientific aspect yeah. mm. that I don't think I'd seen previous to this movie I mean anything before 1973 which is quite normal now yes. like you see the e- EMP detectors and all, all sorts of like gadgetry and, and cameras now in the NC 30s movies and, and many more. But this is kind of the first, I don't know, maybe the first introduction of, of science into a, into a haunting.
2: I, I think you're right. And, and I know what this movie is. So if I start talking about highfalutin stuff, I know exactly <laughs> what this movie is. So I apologize ahead of time. But in that way, this is in some ways like a Michael Mann type movie, where you have characters who are experts in their field. And they are talking about things in a way where you either got to catch up with what they're talking about philosophically or how the equipment works or what they plan to do. I mean, there's such a nuance between the Tanner, the Pamela Franklin's character and Clive Revel's character. There's such a nuance between their positions. They both sort of believe in life after, or Pamela Franklin's character believes that there are personalities that exist in the afterlife, that people's personalities or their drives or their, you know whatever exists. And he believes that, the spirits are sort of just you know so much electromagnetic or you know electrical energy that's out there and that that's what's associated with souls and things like that but they're not personalities and it's just interesting that they immediately get in these debates and they don't necessarily wait for the audience to catch up and in that way it's like a michael mann movie where it's like okay if you know the nuances of of you know transportation for drugs from you know columbia to miami or whatever and the things they are talking like guns or the <laughs> class explosives or whatever they're talking about you get it you, you don't get a, you enjoy it on that level but it's also like you know if you're opaque to it you don't you have to understand it in order to care about the characters or whatever because there's other stuff going on and i think that's what's kind of great about it is it's there's sort of this debate between the two of them which is what sort of Between you know Tanner and Clive Revel's character that that tears them apart, Mm. puts them on opposite ends in the uh, you know, the conflict. And but there's a tension between all of them, you know, Roddy McDowell is is so good, and he's just the whole every one of his line readings, especially in the beginning of of where he's just he just says something and he just says, dead. You know, he just has these little like really quick, (laughs) the little look at his face, and he's just like you know, he said something like, you know, the one guy says, you know, this this house isn't something or other, and then he says, Do you believe that? Do you? Uh, he's just he's so good. And he's again—he's a guy who survived this thing, so he's got a whole perspective on this thing. And then, you know, Clive Revel's wife, uh, Gail Honeycutt, is somebody who doesn't belong in this world at all, but is there, and she's got a completely fresh perspective. And, and her character goes through a whole thing. So, yeah, I—I uh, I know what this movie is, but I love. That they do take the science and parapsychology base. It starts with a title that's from some guy, who's like a celebrity psychic or clairvoyant to European royalty, or yeah, yeah. Thing. and it's like he's he's endorsing this movie with you know his his you know stamp of approval. Like it's. I wish more movies had that. I wish more movies like had like okay, we talked to the guy who's just who's the clairvoyant to European royalty, and he says this movie's okay. So, you know, watch. The- yeah. It's <laughs> It's Insane, insane choices.
0: <laughs> it is. It's one of my favourite, this is based on true something or other wow. opening title cards, which essentially yeah. says the story's fictitious, but the phenomena depicted could well be true. <laughs> so it's like,
2: Some of this
0: might happen.
2: (laughs) Signed Tom Corbett in his signature. Yes. Great.
0: (laughs) It's wonderful. Now, I do love that whole genre of science meets the supernatural. I got the catnip for that with um, Poltergeist in 1982 Mm. with the whole team that comes in. Yeah. But yeah, that's a decade later. Prince of Darkness as well. The late 80s film with John Carpenter Mm. is a good example of that.
2: That's great. That's a great one. That's Mm. a great example of doing this exact thing. Yeah. Wow. It's
0: great fun. I've read some reviews of the film, though, that suggest that that sort of cold scientific approach doesn't quite achieve the same level of irrational fear yeah. that you get from Robert Wise's The Haunting, which is much more of a plunge into psycho sexual drama and mm. much more of an inner journey into madness.
2: Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like, that's the risk, right? And I think that, like, structurally, a movie that does that you know, incredibly well as the exorcist where, okay, we're going to show you that we did everything we possibly could do. You know, we're going to go through everything before we go get to the exorcism. So we're going to go through psychologists. We're going to go through MRIs. We're going to go through all of this stuff. She's going to do everything she possibly can to not do some sort of like faith, God solution to this problem and exhausts all of that in every way, shape or form, and then has to go. To this thing so the movie kind of like hits you with all science in the beginning no you know you see some supernatural stuff but not the full you know hell's of popping thing that happens in the end of the movie yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> one update this movie has on the haunting as well is just a tremendous amount of practical effects and you actually see the things that you kind of wanted to see yeah. in The Haunting. I mean, you've got the, the bulging door in The Haunting. That's cool. Yeah. But this, you know, they go all out with throwing items across rooms and doors slamming and bed covers moving by themselves.
2: Yeah. Really cool uh,
1: practical effects I, I'd never seen before.
2: Yeah, one of the things I love about the bed thing is that when the covers come at her, you know, everything's done really slowly. The camera pushes in on her. We're looking at the covers. The covers are coming slowly. And then suddenly someone yanks it. And it's really good. Like it's just like yeah. you're hypnotized by it a little bit. And then boom, it flies at her. There's, there's some stuff they do like that that's really, it's kind of, again, it's like really palpable. Yeah.
0: Know? And there's a lot of chandeliers just everywhere ready to <laughs> drop on unsuspecting people in this movie.
2: <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I love that, like, in that one moment with the, the dining room table scene with the plate that flies and the glass that sticks into you really feel it like when that glass breaks and then sticks into his hand it's like that's such a relatable That's a feeling we've all had to be stuck by a piece of glass like that and then then the big tray with all the meat and the oh, knives yeah. comes at him and sticks into the thing <laughs> next to him then he falls on the ground and then that chandelier sparks on him and you can see that they're really like shooting sparks at the actor because you see the way he's reacting he's really like truly reacting to like having like an explosion of sparks in his face. yeah. I, I, that scene in particular, I think, is really well done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. At the end with the, the huge mirror falls on him as well. You yeah. just he can't catch a break. It's yeah. just <laughs> everything in the in the room is attacking him.
2: Oh yeah, and the fireplace explodes out and stuff like that. And he's like feet away. You know, it's yeah, it's a couple of feet away from it. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really well done.
0: It is. For some reason, just because I think it's the presence of Roddy McDowell and also the director being John Hoff, a British director, who worked in TV a lot, like on The Avengers. Mm. but in terms of movies I mostly know him for directing the Witch Mountain movies for Disney and one of my personal favourites The Watcher in the Woods because Roddy McDowell's in it and John Hoff is directing it I had it in the back of my mind as possibly being a Disney production Mm. but then you watch it and it most Definitely isn't a Disney production. <laughs> no.
2: yeah. yeah, Disney was not would not have been uh, paying attention, uh, minding the store uh, that day when they <laughs> went into the production on that movie. No. Yeah, w- one of the things I think is interesting is you know I love Hammer movies. Like those are some of my earliest. Like I think I saw the Hammer movies before I saw the Universal you know, Dracula and and Frankenstein and stuff like that. So like the Oliver Reed Wolfman is probably probably the first Wolfman movie that I saw. And definitely Christopher Lee's Dracula was, you know, like the first Dracula film I saw. And one of the things I love about those movies is their production design. I think that they really always did some really great stuff with those sets. And what's kind of interesting, you were talking about like why sometimes like purely psychological horror films can be better than science-based stuff. I think there's one thing, that happens in movies like that is they play with their sets in a way where the sets and, and the way they photograph the sets, mm. there's a theory about liminal spaces. I don't know if you guys have ever read anything about that, but it's, but there's a, a theory and sort of uh, set design and why we respond to, you know, video games like silent hill and why those things are sort of like automatically creepy um, is the way they use space. But, but one of the things I, I noticed about this movie is that in the hammer movie in the set design, I understand the geography at all times. Mm. Like I could tell you where that door goes or where Dracula goes off here and comes from here or whatever. But what's interesting about the set design here is that even though I I'm never confused exactly about where everything is, that in general all of the everything sort of like lines up, I will say that I could never draw you a map of like what this set looked like because some of it's because of they're doing stuff with the set dressing and kind of putting it in the way in interesting ways, but it's also like the rooms are in these really odd, you know, other than like the bedrooms and stuff like that, the rooms are in these really, you know, odd shapes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ways they can photograph the room and create this sense of kind of like being disoriented a little bit with that space. And that's something I think that that John Huff and, and the cinematographer Alan Hume do really well in this movie is they really create a sense of like, there's always an eeriness to the room, especially that downstairs area.
1: I found that there were a lot of wide lens shots, so almost like fisheye lens and and quite pulled back. So it kind of gave this impression of, something was watching them yeah cuz there was sort of items in the foreground it was kind of peering behind items like almost like sort of halloween like sort of that yeah. point of view shot but yeah, yeah. it's always static you know it's not like halloween but yeah it gave that impression of something was always present yeah. and also with the score as well with that kind of breathing synth sound <laughs> all the, all the way through it yeah gave this sort of really eerie quality
2: yeah. yeah, the music was done by um, this woman, I think, Derbyshire or something like that, Brian Hodgson. But Brian Hodgson was a sound designer for the BBC, and he actually is the guy who invented the sound for the Daleks on uh, Doctor Who. Uh-huh. So, that, so he, he, he designed that, and I think she had something to do with some of the music, too, for some of the BBC shows like Doctor Who and that sort of thing. But this music in this movie, yeah, it's, it's really great sort of uh, electronic score it's cool it's a
1: really interesting choice for the music because for the most part it's at the start it almost sounds like muted tribal drumming but i think it's is it like a drum machine or something and then kind of really subdued woodwind or or brass over it and then for the most part of the movie it's all these kind of drones and noise noisy sort of heaving sounds yeah almost like david lynch type
2: yeah sort of like sound design is music yeah yeah sound design is music and it's one of the first examples i can think of that somebody i mean i guess the birds Mm. you know they did sound design as music for Uh. that but this is like where they made it more a little more musical i guess because like you said there still is some live instruments there but there's a lot of stuff that's sound design or yeah again i don't know what they were working with
0: it's all really experimental uh stuff yeah delia derbyshire and brian hodgson they're from the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, which really was an experimental group Uh that that were doing all kinds of stuff, building their own circuits back in the days when synthesizers didn't exist just to make noises. So it was this sort of fantastic den of wizards creating strange noises (laughs) for Doctor Who. And I remember the guy who composed the Doctor Who theme gave it to Delia Derbyshire to arrange the famous synthesizer version of that theme ah. and then when he heard it back he said did i write this <laughs> and he campaigned <laughs> to have her credited as a, as a co-composer ah. and she wasn't for many years but well. she is now she is credited as the co-composer of that theme
2: oh that's cool yeah, yeah. that's wow. awesome I love
1: it. no it creates an amazing atmosphere yeah, yeah another a technique that they use in this movie with sound is a uh, they kind of climax with just kind of this wall of noise and then just take it all away so you're left with absolute silence and it's really unnerving
2: yeah it's destabilizing isn't it yeah (laughs) it's
1: quite jarring i mean in in the best possible way yeah Yeah,
0: there are a lot of things like that i mean you talked about the production design chris but i also think the color i mean the color is so vivid i mean there is an incredibly saturated blue the wallpaper yeah Yeah. (laughs) blue room in the dining room and tanner's bedroom is just this vicious scarlet red which, you know, you just can't help but associate with what happens to her in there yeah, yeah. later on in the movie. And it reminded me, I was listening to you talking about Renfield and going for that Mario Bava style, mm. very saturated color design in the movie. And I wondered whether that's something that appeals to you in this movie as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Her red room, the blue, just even the costumes, oh, you know, yeah. the, all of their costumes, Roddy McDowell's you know, blue sweater in that blue room is really... I always really like that color combination there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just just how clean, even though it's saturated, that the red is uh, really sometimes a really hard color to photograph, but just how saturated it is, but it doesn't bleed onto anything else. It's just like, it's really powerful. And again, that's what the Hammer, all the Hammer movies, you can go look back in some of those ones too, and they were really using really bold uses of color. And yeah, that's one of the reasons probably... but also like the light and shadow of it all just that opening when they come in Mm. to the place when it's pitch dark i really love how that feels and all the fog (laughs) yeah all the fog that comes in it's great yeah
1: uh, also, I, I found uh, similarities to the haunting with the use of mirrors as well. Lots of reflections and that kettle or the teapot. Yeah,
2: That shot of the that distorted. That like they're all distorted yeah, in the yeah. reflection. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Tana's like ceiling of mirrors. It's just like the whole ceiling is a mirror. Yeah,
2: well, and, and it was shot on a set. So the fact that they built all of these sets with ceilings and things like that, is, and, and still mm. were able to do the kind of lighting they would do in those days, because none of that. Only the exteriors were the, you know, in that first scene when they were at the um, inside the castle, maybe that they were at for the opening. Oh, mm-hmm. right. But um, yeah. that's the only stuff that's actually shot on any kind of location. And then everything else is shot in a set. So they really went all out to build, like I said, there's shots where they're looking straight up at her and you see the ceiling and, mm. and, and that's So they really built some exquisite stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. even the exterior shooting, there are some really remarkable, graphically memorable shots in the movie, like their very first arrival at the house and the camera just seems to be so low. They must have dug a hole for it to, <laughs> to sit in, to yeah. look up at the house and make yeah. it just tower above them. Yeah. And that fantastic shot of Roddy McDowell's character. I think it's the first time you see him where I, I guess it must be a lens with a very shallow focus, a very long lens, that has him lost in space with this train whipping yes. past him in yeah. the background out of focus. Yeah. And it just gives you this sense of this man that is just completely detached from everyday reality and kind of lost And yeah. ever since his first run-in with this house.
2: Yeah, and I love when the camera's like in the car and we're following – him as he's leaving the, the edge of the train station and it comes around and meets him in this close-up it's really there's a bunch of stuff like that that's choreographed like really well mm. yeah it's really cool beautiful stuff the one thing that's different in the haunting even though there's wide angle lenses used in the haunting mm. and things like that but everything is very classically done um the move the camera moves are very classically done the compositions are classically done and when roddy McCall has is freak out He's like this, the camera's up over him with a wide angle lens. Like they're, they're doing stuff that you would, you know, that, that are really very expressive with a camera and using, using things that you wouldn't, that probably in a different decade you wouldn't see, but here they're kind of just going even though again it's not a trip movie and it's not a you know exploitation where it's like can't help and they're kind of going, all bets are off as far as framing goes. Sure. But they're still nonetheless like they are not afraid to experiment in a way that you wouldn't necessarily see in the haunting. And Robert Wise is amazing with you know compositions. I mean, brilliant. Mm. You know, you can watch all of his movies, you know, if you don't like the the story, the compositions are you know impeccable. But here they're really he, John Huff and is really free to try things that you wouldn't necessarily, that, that would be, you know, become like, like you could d- draw a direct line from this to music videos in the 80s. Mm, Russell Mulcahy's right. or people like that would, would use the camera around a, a singer and use the room, use the set in a way. And they and and again, he's, I think like he's also, he's tied to the performance. He really, mm. you know, he's sort of taking a look instead of the more theatrical performance style. I think he is like taking a clue from, method acting and things like that, and so right. he's he's responding to what the actor is doing, and, and so the character and the camera are in lockstep emotionally.
1: Yeah. Yes.
2: Now it's time for Random Trivia.
1: Okay, it's just the two of us for trivia. Conrad, what did you discover next to a dead cat in a shower today? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: Well, Clive Reville, who plays Lionel Barrett in the movie, kind of the main character, I was surprised to learn, is a Kiwi. Ah, is he? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. He was the original voice of the Emperor in The Empire Strikes Back before George Lucas retconned the whole thing in the special editions and replaced him with Ian McDiarmid. Ah, Okay. And uh, he's 93, and as of recording, he is still with us. Wow. Good clip. Yeah, not not a
1: Brit. He's a Kiwi. That happens sometimes. It does. <laughs> I mean, Kiwis do the British accent very easily. Yeah, I can imagine. I think he came to
0: England early on in his career for the theatre and so on, and just stayed because he
1: got so much work. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Going on. All right. That's our trivia. Talking about themes, I haven't really mentioned sort of the the science versus uh, supernatural theme, but there's also this kind of repressed Sexuality thing going on. Oh yeah. Is there a rape scene in this movie? Does she get <laughs> raped by a ghost?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's what's implied there. Yeah, uh, it's basically like almost like uh, straw dogs or something like that. You know, like the the Peckinpah movie. Right. You know, again, it's what they don't show but is implied that is what makes it completely horrifying. And that's what's so great about her performance. I mean, they're all great, but in particular that moment, there's so much going on. With her, you know, she's trying to prove her point, you know, from a character standpoint, she's trying to prove her point that this Mm. is, you know, unlike what the other guy is saying is going on in this house, she insists that it's the son of Belasco that's here. And so she's trying to connect and communicate with the son of Belasco. And then it just, yeah, and her trying to get sort of close to him, in quotes, close to him, results in her sort of letting him in. To her, and then all you know, it goes crazy. But you will, again, she takes you through this entire thing in her performance. It's uh, that yeah. her performance is great. There, Gail Honeycutt's performance when she's sort of in the throes of being kind of possessed by the, the sort of darkly sexual side of the house when she's mm. the first time she's talking to Roddy McDowell and she's going through all of that stuff. You just see all of these things play out. I mean, there's a really a lot actually asked of the actors in this movie in particular because they're not going to cut to some sort of CGI or animatronic version of a ghost or a thing or mm. something else. They're not doing anything like that. The only time that they do the camera work does something is when, um, Tanner's doing that, the re- the, what did they call it? The reading? No, it's when she yeah sitting, sitting. And when she's, when she's sitting there in that chair and he frames it where she's so hard, right. And the chair is hard left and she starts talking to or looking over at the chair and that you get this, you know, again, that's camera work is kind of filling in. Oh, there's a presence there. But a lot of times we're just on their faces or on medium shots Mm. on them and you're seeing them just do all of this work to get these big, fairly big ideas across to the audience. It's really just, again, if the directing wasn't there, if the actors weren't there, you wouldn't have any of that stuff. But they all committed to this thing. It's really... You know well done like just just on 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 every level technical and creative and everything yeah
0: yeah yeah that is one thing that does differentiate it from the haunting definitely is the sexual element there is a sexual element there in the haunting yeah almost certainly there's a lot of tension there between the two female characters and eleanor lance falls in love with the house Mm. but i don't think she goes as far as as having an intimate moment with ukraine whereas (laughs) in this one That definitely happens. We also have the same thing with the muggle wife who falls victim to the house's influence, yeah. very much like Grace Markway in The Haunting. But in this one, yeah, this English housewife is just transformed into this thirsty <laughs> mess, just just mm. desperate for anyone to... <laughs> Touch me. Yeah. yeah. I yes. did find it entertaining the number of women that are propositioning Roddy McDowell and him <laughs> ending up slapping them in the face. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's- yeah, there was a little bit of slapping too. Though, yeah, yeah. I, I guess the book is even worse. I guess the book is goes even more into Velasco's sexual deviancy and all of that kind of thing. Like I think there's, there's a, right. I think the book goes deeper into that than the movie does, and you know, and yeah, I, I think uh, I mean it's definitely a movie of its time for sure. They made some definitely some choices that were of its time, but again, I, I go back to how great their performances are and how they really found a way to make it tasteful is probably taste has probably went out the window but like (laughs) it doesn't go so far over the top they don't do what maybe they do in the exorcist or texas chainsaw massacre movies or coming out around the same time you know they are they are sort of Mm. yeah straw dogs would have come out around the same time too actually
0: yeah i don't think it's exploitative
1: yeah it's almost it's almost like it's not quite there i mean there is nudity but it's not too explicit no
0: For a 70s movie, I think it's tastefully handled, but it's definitely delving more into the sexual aspects than... Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's based on sort of the history of the house, because with all of these haunting movies, there's always a dark past to the house. And and I think in The Haunting and Other House, it's all to do with some terrible wrong, you know, that's been built on an Indian burial ground or somebody really cruel and evil lived there. Whereas it sounds like Belasco was just
1: a very angry short man who was a bit of a party goer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what what was his motivation here? Just height jealousy? Like everyone... (laughs) Taller than him has to die. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think he was definitely probably there's some short jokes or something really, you know, I guess if you were going to do the prequel, you talk about, you know, how uh, you know, the bullies that uh, came after Port Velasco, Like, didn't he like cut off his own legs and have. Yeah,
1: like prosthetic legs yeah. Uh, attached. Yeah, yeah, yeah the big he, twist. Yeah. At the end.
2: That reveal is a little bit of a letdown. That's probably the the one area where I feel like the buildup to that is not as satisfying as I was wanted to be. That's, yeah, that's my main probably. I agree. Complaint with the movie is I'm it's like you've got all of these things going and you're heading this direction and it's great and all the characters again the conflicts between the characters are all well done and then you get to that thing and it's just it, it's a little bit of a it goes out in a whimper a little bit unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and and also it kind of comes out of nowhere as well. Like, I mean, how is his body preserved? Uh, I mean, he's got the lead lined room, I guess, but they don't really talk about that beforehand. Um, And also the height thing isn't really made too obvious in the movie. So of course you're not going to, Expect that either. So the the ending feels very explained yeah. by the character, yeah. like the Fisher's character just tells us the ending. It's like, oh, I
2: guess. Well, it's like Psycho. It's like the, yeah, it's like the ending true. of Psycho, where it's like he shows up, and then it's like, okay, great, and then then all you have is like five minutes of a guy explaining, yeah, you know, about yeah, all sure. all of that stuff, and it's a little bit of like a kind of a bummer. But you know, the funny thing is structurally you've got them on a mystery track like who is this person mm. they are putting together the, you know they, they they disagree about where it's coming from and and all these different points of view is this all the spirits you know first they're like is this all the spirits that are you know from all the dead people that the Blasco you know had had murdered you know in his time and then is it you know are they all trapped here is Blasco trapping them here and then is it the son yeah of Blasco had been tortured so you're on this track where you could have easily Weaved in any other little facts yeah. along the way that could have led to that thing as opposed to it just being this thing that kind of like basically kind of comes out of nowhere,
1: yeah, 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 it does. And who, who was the guy, the dead guy, and chained in the basement as well?
2: Oh, the oh, wait with the dead, the, uh, the other, yeah, part, yeah, that's
1: sort of the rotting
0: corpse, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. juicy yeah. corpse that they did, they just yeah. bury outside without calling the police or anything, yeah, 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 which is, <laughs> yeah, really odd, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: We'll handle this, guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know who that was.
0: I don't know who that was. Yeah. No, I mean, there are some hints. I think you said, Dan, that this is a movie that benefits from multiple viewings because you start to notice there are little hints there are, buried in early on. Yeah. So Fisher says, when he first mentioned that Belasco's dead, he says, dead? As though he's hinting, is he really? Yeah. And he mentions that he was known as a six foot five, the The roaring roaring giant giant. or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the dialogue is quite dense because they're sort of introducing two different aspects, you know, the the science part, which is just trying to get your head around all the science stuff, like the ectoplasm stuff, yeah. um, the ozone. And like that's like, wow, I didn't know anything about this, so I'm trying to focus on this. But then there's also all the spirit stuff as well. Repeat watches, yeah. it does make more sense. Yeah.
2: That's going to be my argument at, at the end of this, when I'm arguing for why it needs to be kept in <laughs> in your in the canon of your movies, the repeat watching factor. <laughs> Coming to you live from the movie Oubliette Theatre,
0: it's the prestigious Mubli
1: Awards. Oh yes, it's that special time of the pod—the Moobly Awards, where we nominate our favorite chandelier plummeting parts of the film in a number of bedspread flinging categories. Best, Best quote.
2: quote, where he goes off and Belasco's all the things that Belasco was into cannibalism, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sexual sadism, but he literally just like kept <laughs> it, but he says it in a mot Like he's got this just great monotone voice and he's just without any emotion at all. He's just, you know, it's perfect. But that's, that's, yeah. that's probably the better one is where he's just, you know, listing all the things that Blasco is in.
1: Yeah. And you, you never really know whether he's being serious or not. Like it seems almost like sarcastic. Like he's yeah, just like yeah. listing off just, just bad stuff. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the way he ends it with, not to mention a gamut of sexual goodies. Shall I go on? <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like mentioning actually necrophilia is a sexual
2: goodie? Yeah, goody, it's, it's so. a bestiality. But he's, you know, he's like, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My favourite was actually something that Tana comes out with. She directs it to Fisher. I think she's possessed at the time, but she shouts at him, You might have been hot stuff when you were 15, but now you're shit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. That could be a bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> Best hair or costume. I mean, I have to go with Ryan McDowell, Benjamin Franklin Fisher. Uh, I love all of his outfits i love his glasses his glasses are uh, so 70s and amazing
1: so thick as well his eyes look. Yeah.
2: Huge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great for him to act like he's because so much is going on there yeah yeah. Mm. but yeah i love his outfits i love his the, the glasses and the, and the hair and everything you know like, yeah he's my favorite
0: yeah he does a great line in looking concerned in turtlenecks oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fabulous yeah
2: i really like well it. he did that in this movie he did then planet of the apes he had a turtleneck in planet of the apes too was, ah, yeah. Yeah. yes that's our, true our, our great turtleneck actor <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> my favorite was florence tanner i think it's just the white blouse that you see her in when she first appears because the lapels on that thing ah, right? yes, are just yes. amazing and uh she's got like 86 silver necklaces on as well over the top of it
2: i saw someone describe her with her rings and her necklaces as like proto goth because she's got all of these different kinds of religious symbols obviously a crucifix and other things in there but she's got like she's almost like you know the yeah the the Precursor to the Susie and the Banshee, uh, Susie from the Susie and the Banshee, right, Bans- yeah. yeah, I can right, say that,
0: yeah, that's a good point. Most 70s moments, I was going to say the zooms, yeah, actually, the crash in zooms. terms of the camera work, <laughs> yeah, 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 because that uh, you wouldn't see that so much now. There's even a crash zoom from Kubrick in The Shining, which always makes me sort of go, um, but yeah, especially during the seance scene where it's every time clive's character says something the camera just zoomed, crash yeah, zooms crash yeah, zooms in yeah, a little yeah, bit more yeah, yeah. oh i smell ozone oh yeah now yeah. the temperature's going up you know it's just zooming in a little bit more each time yeah
1: i mean what i do <laughs> like about the crash zooms in this movie aren't they're not punctuated with like orchestral hits you know it's not that real cheesy yeah. uh horror cliche whether it's just like bang everything playing all at once um they're, they're subtle they i mean there are a lot of them uh the, the, the cat crashed Zoom. Um, that's pretty funny. You've got to
2: have a cat. That, that cat was great. That, that cat was like, when, when they're shooting the outside of the building, it just crawls into the frame. Uh, it just perfect. Like that cat, that cat can hit its mark.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes. Favorite scene.
2: It has to be that scene where they're having dinner and then the whole room, you know, uh goes crazy yeah. and you know everything's flying around it's so i think that's so well done it comes right at the right time where you're you know in the movie we're just building that's just you were talking about poltergeist earlier and i think about how when all the science people show up how crazy the movie mm. you know gets around that time it reminds me a lot of that where it's just like at that that those scenes in poltergeist happen at the exact right time in the movie where you're building up all this stuff and then all of a sudden it just everything goes crazy um, and the same thing for this movie. I think that scene is so well done. And if I had a second place scene, I think it's I think it's the scene where Gail Honeycutt, you know, comes down and comes down to Ben and is seducing for the first time, where you see sort of how you just see kind of like how the, the house and Belasco can affect mm. people. And um, yeah,
1: yeah. Right. yeah the the dining hall scene is yeah it's just they pulled out all the stops on the on the effects and it, it just looked very dangerous as well like yeah they, they, it, the, mm.
2: it was legitimately <laughs> legitimately dangerous for the actors in that scene with everything's going on like if they were just moved one inch wrong yeah. another way they're gonna get the flaming plate of whatever in yeah, their face.
1: yeah 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 exactly wow yeah
0: my favourite scene in the film is the really garish stylized red lighting in the seance scene. Yeah, And it's that lovely mix of the paranormal and the scientific that's really creepy and disturbing, like Quatermass or something yeah. like that. Where yeah. They're sort of experimenting, but you feel as though they really don't know what they're doing. And they're yeah. getting into something that might be more powerful than they can handle it's filled with danger yeah yeah scene. is it. that
1: the one with the, the ectoplasm that starts yeah the, the ectoplasm growing is from her
2: yeah. fingers yeah
0: yeah leave a sample in the jar please <laughs> <Yeah>. that's, <laughs>
2: <one>. <laughs> that's a good quote too <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> most
1: cliche moment i would say my horror cliche for this film is uh a woman are hysterical and and men are logical <laughs> uh, but also men have to slap women to snap yeah. them out of their hysteria yeah <laughs> yeah
2: i think you fu- yeah, that is exactly correct you are 100 percent correct that is there that's what they're trafficking in, in the movie yeah
1: sure. i mean there is a <laughs> yeah. lot of slapping of women in this
2: film yeah yeah yeah
0: <laughs> I just love it, though, that Roddy McDowell's presented with a naked woman and slaps her. I just think that's so perfect. (laughs) Come to your senses, woman. What are you doing? My cliche, just from the English perspective, is, tis foggy in old England. Ah, yes. Which (laughs) uh, it is not (laughs) to say.
2: Well, they had to bring all that in, too. I mean, all that was that, that, uh, was all dry ice and everything else for that stuff. That wasn't... You could tell it was like the most beautiful sunny day, yeah. That, that, yeah. you know, that they just, they had to bring in this to, to get that. To, it must have taken to, to, to...
1: hours to fill up with fog.
2: Yeah. Yeah. One Crazy. errant wind would have blown all of that away too. <laughs> yeah. So they are really lucky that it was the day they got. Yeah. Yeah. Best special effect.
0: I have a very clear favorite for this one. I don't know whether you guys agree with this. It's the figure under the sheets oh, in Tanner's bedroom. So good. Yeah. It's so good.
2: Yeah. And how they did that i'm still don't know how they yeah
1: the, the because you, you it looks like there's a there's a moving body under yeah. the sheets yeah. like it's moving yeah. and yeah. then she rips it off no cut or anything yeah. no cuts and it's nothing nobody's there yeah yeah
0: so john hoff says in his interview i'm not going to reveal how we did it <sighs> but then in Pamela Franklin's commentary track on the new Blu ray, she just tells you. Oh, good. Oh, <laughs> so, good.
2: I'll listen to that. Great. I can't wait to hear that.
0: So it, it took quite a few takes to get the timing exactly right. But yes, there is a man in the bed ah. with the sheet over the top. And at the exact timing that they're counting really loud in the room, and she pulls the sheet off, and they open a hole in the bed, and he drops through a hole in the bed, right. and seal it back up again.
2: Old school magic. Ah. Yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. That's
0: cool. But I mean, the timing on it is absolutely perfect. perfect. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. That's incredible. Love it.
2: Yeah, it can't be that stuff. The, the ectoplasm stuff for me, you know, is just such a neat, it has such a neat look to mm-hmm. it even though it's clear how they, you know, it's an optical printing thing. I just, I really like the way some of that stuff looks and just the fact that it moves slowly, I think it's another thing too where it's like the pace of the way it moves is something different than what people would do now to show that idea. They'd make it a little more elaborate, they make it a little more noodly or something like that. And I just think like, that was just like, it was just like a perfect execution of that thing, even if it's just a rudimentary mm. kind of optical printing effect. There's yeah, like yeah. Favourite sound effect. effect. I just think the whole score, the score as a sound, mm. sort of a sound design element and the sound designee element. elements Within the within the score, I think, of the stuff that's th- super memorable mm. for me. I, I love that. Yeah,
1: yeah, the sort of yeah. breathing sounds that they create. Yeah. yeah, it's really good.
0: Yeah. It's difficult to distinguish between the two. So my favorite sound is during that uh, seance scene where she does the ectoplasm and there's this electronic heartbeat that's running through yeah. it, slowly increasing in yeah. pace. It's very clever.
1: I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sound for me, we haven't really talked about it, but um, Florence, when she gets possessed and she has this kind of demon voice, um, but it, I think it's just her voice mm. pitched down. I don't think it's another actor, but it, it's, yeah, it has a very unnerving quality to it. Um, yeah. And it's it's different to just, like, you know, dubbing it with some other guy, like in The Exorcist. It's... it's Sort of unnatural sounding. Yeah. Most funniest, Most funniest
2: moment. I mean, I think Ryan McDowell is funny throughout the movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> un- unfortunately, I think that the ending where he's talking about how short he is, I think that is probably for, especially for a modern audience, is probably, unfortunately, unintentionally funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Quite possibly. Yeah. For me, it was one shot, and it came at the end of the otherwise fantastic, I thought... Uh, cat attack sequence oh yes which i think is <laughs> yes i know really what you're gonna scary. talk about <laughs> it's the final shot of the scene after she's escaped the cat and it's behind the door and you just get this one shot of these bloody paws sort of scrabbling <laughs> underneath <laughs> the door it just makes me giggle <laughs> yeah
2: it's such a cat thing to do on top of it I know. Too, yeah it? it's true
0: yeah, yeah it's very yeah. true
1: no not so much terrifying it's, it's very cute <laughs> yeah. You kinda want to let him
0: in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, and that's our Moobly Awards. Yay! Hi, I'm Sandy King Carpenter, producer of movies like They Live, Prince of Darkness, In the Mouth of Madness, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette.
1: Okay, it's time for our final verdicts. Should the legend of How House from 1973 be released from its lead-sheathed tomb to open and close doors at will (laughs) and be loved by everyone? Or should it be crushed under a fallen crucifix and be pushed back into the depths of the Oubliette erased from cinema history? Chris... How House? I'm sure it is a favorite of yours. I think.
2: Yeah, I am. I am gonna. I'm go. I'm going to vote to you know release the movie into the world and uh, uh, that I you know I think it's a movie that you can watch a few times and get you know a lot out of it. It's it's a fun movie. The great performances, camera work, color, lighting, editing, music, locations, costumes, like everything. Mm. They did such a good job and. It's not a very long movie. It's just like a really well-paced movie. I just think, you know, and if you want to see like what, if you saw The ha- Haunting and it maybe left you wanting more, watch Legend of Hell House. Legend of Hell House is, you know, might be the thing that, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's when you want to watch an old movie, if you like you want to watch an old movie, this is an old movie that, that I think uh, still has a lot of power in it.
1: Yeah, I I would agree. I, I'm very surprised. I've never seen this movie. I think it should be much more iconic. Like I just don't understand why it's not sort of uh, regarded as one of the, sort of the great sort of modern haunting movies. Like it, it predates movies like uh, the Poltergeist, The Changeling, um, Amityville Horror, and and burnt offerings. Like it seems to definitely modernize the genre. And you see things that you wanted to see in The Haunting. And yes, it is very familiar. But I think it's a great ride. And the ending is, you know, so-so. But I think the, the presentation of the performance and, and the, the production value uh, merits it to be a highly regarded film. Yeah.
0: No, I would agree. This was a real treat, actually. This is why we do the show because uh, never heard of it or vaguely heard of it, never paid it much mind. And discovering it and talking with you about it has been such a joy because it's not the haunting. I'll always love the haunting as a you know classic black and white psychological exercise in terror. But this is the 70s version with the garish colour production design and the flashy camera work and Roddy McDowell in a turtleneck. And it's a bit saucy as well in places, so it's delving into things that previous movies hadn't done. But it's a really inventive, spooky movie, and it's also that scientists investigating the paranormal genre that I really love, so... Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I definitely recommend it and uh, vote to set it free. Mm hmm. Well, I guess it's time for us to find out what the patrons voted. Hello, Hal. What are you doing, Conrad? Nothing untoward. I just want to know <laughs> what the patrons voted.
1: Our patrons have decided to set the film free.
0: Ah, uh, to set it free. Huh. Yeah. So Eddie Coulter says, unleash the spirit of Belasco from the Oubliette. Hell House has been one of my traditional Halloween watches since I first saw it in the early 80s. I'm surprised that this hasn't been remade yet. John Hoff also directed another favourite of mine, The Watcher in the Woods. Ah, but despite right. interference from Disney, is a great creepy film that creeped me out when I first saw it in the theatre. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Uh, Jasmine says, I was lucky enough to track this down a little over a year ago. Roddy McDowell is absolutely fantastic in this film. This gem is full of incredible atmosphere, chills, and inventive camera shots, and it deserves to be released for all horror fans to witness. Mm. And finally, Chazilla said, great pick for spooky season. I do love a good haunted house flick. The Legend of Hell House is everything I liked about The Haunting turned up to 11.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, sure is.
0: It really is. It's sort of the, the fun 70s version of The Haunting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's set a free. Yay. <laughs>
2: Yay, we did it.
1: <laughs> 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 how House sort of updates the haunting as as Renfield updates Dracula. There you
2: yeah, go. Todd Browning was going for much more of a, a comedy. He just didn't, didn't quite didn't quite get there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Chris, it's been amazing having you here with us to talk about this movie. Where can people follow you, and what can they look forward to seeing from you next?
2: Yeah, I um, uh, well, you can I, you can follow me on. Uh, uh, on Instagram, I guess, at uh, Chris McKay underscore director. And uh, on Twitter, I am Bud Bedeker, like the Western filmmaker. I just, for some reason at that time, I, just, I, <laughs> named, I named my Twitter handle <laughs> Bud Bedeker. Um, <laughs> it's not
1: confusing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: but uh, uh, I don't try to imitate him or anything. But, uh, you know, right now I'm just reading scripts and trying to find the next thing. I'm, I, the thing I want to do, one of the things I want to do, there was a magazine in the '60s and '70s uh, called Creepy, and there, and there, there's a sister magazine called Eerie, and they had horror short comic book stories like like Tales from the Crypt or Creepshow and mm, that sort of thing. Mm. And there's one story in there that I want to turn into a movie, and so I I hope to I, I hope to be able to do that someday. That's one thing I'm working on. Cool. Right cool. now, but, but yeah, mm. playing around in the horror the horror world a
1: little bit. Yeah, I, I would love to see more horror. Definitely. All right, listeners. And if you want to follow Movie Oubliette, we are Movie Oubliette everywhere. And uh, you can also email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com.
0: Yes, and if you want to support the show, head on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar, you get extended portions of the show and can nominate films for us to cover. For $5, you can vote on the final verdict, get access to our exclusive monthly minisodes, and extended interviews with our special guests. There's lots of extra material from our chat with Chris McKay today, too. Yes, yes. And for $10, you can be an executive producer of the show, like Chazilla, Eddie Coulter, Isaac Sutton, Dr. Doggy and Surge of Cold Crash Pictures.
1: Uh, yes, yes. We've got a Patrons' Choice episode coming up. So, uh, patrons, uh, look out for uh, our prompt. Mm. Give us your suggestions.
0: Yes, we love hearing your suggestions. And this will be for an episode that I'm not going to be in.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. Surprise me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Whatever you want to torture Dan with
1: while I'm away, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess uh, the question is, what are we going to be torturing ourselves with next episode, Conrad?
0: (laughs) Well, we will be taking a look at a fantasy movie for a change after lots of horror and sci-fi. Yes. It's the 1982 American sword and sorcery film... The Sword and the Sorcerer. Ah, <laughs> oh, very aptly named. <laughs> yeah, they really stretched themselves when they were brainstorming that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess it's just like that movie, Wizards. It's about wizards. Yeah, it's, it's wizards.
0: <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so this is directed by Albert Pyun, and it stars Lee Horsley, Kathleen
1: Bella, Simon McCorkindale, and Richard Lynch ah great great it'll be nice to take a break from uh religious themed movies uh mm. so yes straight into <laughs> high fantasy just,
0: i'm just suddenly remembering something that happens in sword and the sorcerer and i think you might be <laughs> ruining those words oh but okay we well
1: <laughs> we'll <Yes>. see <laughs>
0: again thank you so much chris for doing this it's been really fun thank and,
2: you guys yeah i'm well, glad i got you know help you know help you out by uh, showing you roddy mcdowell in the 70s uh slapping women and getting <laughs> uh, every, seduced by incredibly attractive yeah, women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay all right this was a lot of fun i really appreciate it i really appreciate what you guys are doing uh this is really cool and thanks for thinking about me and Letting me be a part of it, I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's been great.
0: If you want to do it again, you think of another movie, just let us know.
2: Okay, absolutely, I will. Absolutely, I'll send you something. I'll, I'll, hopefully, I'll try to stump you guys. I'm really, I'm really happy that you guys <laughs> hadn't seen it. That's the, that's the one thing I feel very, very pleased about. Yeah, you yeah, hadn't seen it. So that's cool.
1: Mm, all right, listeners, that's it for this episode. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Thanks
0: very much. Goodbye.
1: Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: To the films, others tend to forget. Come with us and open up the
1: movie you need. You, me,
2: that girl, Lionel, all together, naked, drunk, sweating, biting.